A Merry Christmas to each of you here this morning. It's uh, a great joy to be celebrating this day with all of you here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. You see, I can say that if I practice. Let's pray together. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. We welcome you to enter in and to be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen. Our scripture readings this morning take us to the very heart and the core of the meaning of the Christmas story. The incarnation and God's coming to be with us in the little child born in Bethlehem. As I say every year at this time, Christmas really is about presents. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. And not only the other kind with a T-S that all of us have found under the tree. As we hear in Isaiah 63 today, it's not a messenger or an angel, but God's very presence that saves and heals us. To connect more directly and more closely with this reality, I'd like us to take a moment now to remember a very vulnerable time in our own lives when someone's physical presence, someone's coming to be with us, impacted us in a way that we'll never forget. Maybe by holding your hand in the hospital. Maybe by praying with you. Bringing you a meal. Singing to you. Or giving you a quiet gift of money. You know, during seminary, Danette and I will never forget when two church friends once brought us a basket of freshly baked bread and steaming soup. I think that's 20 years ago. I still remember it. You see, we were in the middle of a series of surgeries and treatments trying to conceive a child, and our friend's presence was a lifeline of hope during a very hopeless time for us. You see, experiences like this, and I'm sure each of us has a story to share, and maybe you'd like to share it during our community life today. These times remind us that there is absolutely nothing like someone being physically present with us in our time of need. And we need to remember that in our 
time in this day when we are trying to be with each other remotely instead of directly and physically. Experiences like this help us to appreciate and to fall in love with the God who comes to be with us physically in Jesus Christ. As Scripture says so lyrically, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. The Greek here actually says tabernacles, pitches a tent in our midst. God is embedded among us in a child of a poor peasant woman laid in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. Ponder this, dear friends. God so loves us that God willingly enters into every aspect of our human condition. The nourishment of Mary's breast, the warmth of Joseph's arms, the vulnerability of sleeping in a cold, cold stable, and the terror of Herod's approaching death squad. In Jesus, God fully enters into our human life so that we might fully enter into God's life. God fully enters into our human life so that we might fully enter into God's life. And later during his ministry, Jesus shows us what God's beautiful life looks like, often without even having to say a word. This is what the beauty of incarnation, of enfleshment is all about, without even saying a word by holding the hands of children, touching lepers, tipping over tables, breaking bread, washing feet, and opening his arms to all on the cross. Slowly the followers of Jesus begin to grasp the astoundingly good news that this Loving, challenging, gracious, and healing Jesus is what God is like. No, 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 no. It's even better than that. Not is like, this is God with us. This is who God is. This is Emmanuel. And slowly they begin to understand that this God doesn't just want to save us, but to be in intimate relationship, communion with us. And they begin to realize that the incarnation, which has been called God's great love project, is meant to continue now through each of us to everyone here on this planet. You know, during our Advent season, have you noticed how God invariably 
comes into our world through people who offer their lives as spaces where Jesus can be born? First, Mary says her yes to God and makes room in her womb and in her life for God. And then Joseph makes space. What would have happened if Joseph hadn't made space? And then the stable owner, the shepherds, and the magi. Dear friends, isn't this what discipleship is all about? Offering our lives as spaces where Jesus can be born? Making room in our lives for the joy and the shalom, the justice and the mercy of God? Becoming physical places and spaces where God can happen for other people too? where Jesus can love and live in us and through us? I think we see this beautiful receptivity to God in today's story about Simeon and Anna in the temple. You know, in Jesus' day, Jerusalem has a population of around 40,000 people, just a little bit smaller than our own dear city here. And among these 40,000 are two elderly people whose lives are so open to the Holy Spirit that they alone are able to see and to touch God's inbreaking presence. The story of Simeon and Anna reminds us of the way that here as well at East Chestnut, our older members as well model this kind of receptivity and openness to God. I think, for example, of Ken Knoll, who models this kind of openness to God. Many of you have heard on listserv that Ken just recently entered into hospice care. And it's been my great pleasure to be visiting him in a special way these days. His faith has completely shaped who he is and how he has lived his life for these past 88 years. And Ken has been showing me that when you live your life well, that's a very good preparation then to dine well also. And he's been showing me his anticipation for all the great reunions that will be taking place on the other side of death. A good life, he is showing us, makes way for a good death. In today's story, did you notice the very specific ways that Anna and Simeon make room in their lives for God? The 84-year-old Anna 
has devoted her life, Scripture tells us, to prayer, to fasting, and to worship. And Simeon has a special sensitivity to the promptings and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You see, spiritual disciplines like prayer and meditating on Scripture, contemplative walking, serving others, singing hymns, all these things help us to make space in our lives for the life of God. They have nothing to do with earning God's love and everything to do with actually being able to receive it. Having enough space in our lives for God's love to enter in. I used to think that all the great saints of our faith, folks like Simeon and Anna, are given the special gift of seeing extraordinary things that the rest of us can't see. But I don't believe that anymore. Instead, by making space in their lives for the life of God, they are given the special ability to see very ordinary things differently. Friends, you know that day in the temple when Mary and Joseph come walking in like any other? No trumpets announce their arrival. The child that they are holding doesn't have a halo floating over his head. In fact, he probably has a snotty nose just like all the other kids coming in. But Anna and Simeon are able to see differently. And so among Jerusalem's 40,000 people, they alone are able to recognize humanity's time of visitation from God. They alone get to hold Jesus, to bless him, and to tell everyone that God's salvation has come to town. In our Exploring Faith and Baptism class these past months, because of stories just like Anna and Simeon's, we've been talking together a great deal about how spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines can help make room in our lives for the transforming life of God. We each need a practice, a pathway toward God so that we can meet God and God has the space in our lives to meet us. Because you see, our purpose isn't just to believe in Jesus, but for his ways to become our ways. His peace to become our peace. His life to become our life, and his mind to become our mind. And the way each of us 
here at East Chestnut chooses to connect with God will be very different. We've all been made very differently by God. For some of us, this connecting with God may happen in a quiet room. For others of us, on a train. For some of us, it will happen in a forest. And I have a dear friend whose closest times with God take place on a bike. The only thing that matters is that your daily connecting and communion with God is happening. It matters not how it is happening, but it matters that it is taking place. And so as we enter into a new year just around the corner, let me ask you, what is the way that you are connecting with God in your life right now? How's that happening? And if it's not happening, might 2015 be the year that you choose to start connecting with God in some special way? And if you're completely at a loss this morning and have no idea what spiritual discipline might suit you, then send me a note. I'd love to sit down with you over coffee and to talk about what special way you might be able to connect with God in the year ahead. In Jesus, God was embedded among us. And now God is sending each of us out to be little Christs, to be embedded in our city, in our workplace, our neighborhoods, our schools, and through our physical presence to be the place where Christ can happen for others. Amen.